Hello and welcome to this edition of Wineskins, a program that features reflections on the lives of the saints and sacred scriptures, along with information on topics and issues from a Catholic perspective. I'm Father Jim Corda. Wineskins is brought to you by the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts, a division of the Society of St. Paul. On our show today, I will talk about the Vatican II document on the priesthood. We will also look at the life of St. John of God, as well as reflections on the readings for this second Sunday of Lent. That and more coming up on Wineskins. In our Bishop's Corner, we welcome Father Brian Smith. Joining me again is Father Brian Smith, who is the coordinator and director of Hispanic Ministry in the Diocese. Welcome back to Wineskins. Thank you. You know, in this segment, Father, we'd like to just kind of give an overview of Hispanic ministry throughout the diocese and what we've done over these many years and how that has changed. In your short time as director and also as a young priest, Mm -hmm. how have you seen that grow, that Hispanic ministry and involvement and the diocese working to bring that about? Well, I mean, some of our priorities right now are getting some lay leaders trained in each of our parishes. So we have a focus on just identifying who those people are and really making sure that they can have classes or different resources available to them so that they can step up within their parish communities and, you know, take on whatever they're able to, you know, to recognizing that that's a very important part of making sure their communities thrive. Now, are we talking about every parish community or are we talking specifically those communities that celebrate like a Spanish mass? Yeah, I guess I'm talking mainly about those communities so far, because those are the places that I have a presence up Mm. to this point. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's, like, I have a certain openness to finding those other places in the diocese, especially as some of our younger priests and seminarians, you know, come through who can speak Spanish to responding in a better way to those needs throughout the diocese. Are you working with other groups or other communities to bring about kind of assistance and help and also celebrations for the Hispanic people? So I work a lot with Catholic Charities, you know, as far as within the diocese goes. I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know who the other groups would be necessarily. For example, religious communities, are they involved with the Hispanic community? Um, We have one religious sister in the city of Canton who, you know, is the coordinator of the community there. Um, She's the only one from her community there, so I don't have any greater involvement with her you know, her order besides working with her. And she's a very valuable presence there, Sister Karen Lindenberger. And then the Dominicans in Youngstown are the ones in charge of the pastoral care of the Hispanic community in in that area. So I'm working with the pastor, Father Vincent DeLucia, who himself, you know, gets by with Spanish, but he doesn't consider himself very skilled in Spanish necessarily. But Father Carlos Quijano does speak Spanish. So his presence there with the community is very important. He's been able to give some classes some just ongoing faith formation and enrichment for the people there, especially during the liturgical seasons. Let's talk a little bit about the challenges that are there, Mm -hmm. and especially language. That remains one of them. Why is that such an issue? So many of these people arrive and they don't know English. (laughs) That's that's, I mean, that's just the the main thing. You know, the, the way that they express their faith, even for the next generation who does become fluent in English, like the expression of the faith in Spanish public devotions, the love of Our Lady, you know, these things are just a very important part of how the faith is lived out. So, I don't know, just like a little concrete example, even when I ask teenagers 
when they come to me for confession, like, what language do you want to speak in? Almost all of them say English. So we, t- we have our confession in English. And then I give them their penance. But if I try to say, say a Hail Mary, most of them will just look at me and be like, what? But if I ask them to say, say a Dios te salve, which is the Spanish for Hail Mary, then they'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I can do that. So, I mean, just knowing how to pray in Spanish is very important for that community. Mm-hmm. Now, for the folks that are with us, how can they help you in your ministry to the Hispanic community? Mm-hmm. Well, we spoke before about just the openness to their presence. And, you know, my hope for the near future is that one or two other parishes might be able to open up, you know, a time on Sunday for a Mass in Spanish. And even more than that, just be very open to groups of prayer, groups of celebration, receptions, and things like that happening at you know parish spaces. So just cultivating that openness, trying to be aware of the community and trying to really reach out to these people who come here without knowing much and sometimes can get lost and caught up in, in other different expressions of religion and taken away from the Catholic Church that they've been brought up in, really trying to be open to them and seeking them out. And I would imagine that there are some of our younger brother priests that mm-hmm. understand and speak the Spanish language. Mm-hmm. How are they getting involved? I'm happy to say that, you know, recently ordained priest Father Connor Hetzel, he speaks Spanish very well. So he's, he's been present in Canton there at the community there, and I hope that as he continues to grow into his priesthood and move around the diocese with his various assignments, you know, he'll still, I'm sure he'll still stay connected to the Hispanic community wherever he finds himself. We have a few seminarians as well, including in the deacon class this year, Deacon Fritz Schluter. He's focusing a lot in his final years on not just learning Spanish, but getting to know the community and how to best be present for the Hispanic community. Father Brian Smith, thank you for what you do for the Hispanic community. I know it's very very important, very Mm -hmm. vital to Mm -hmm. their faith, but also to the faith and life of our church here locally. So thank you for your work. Yes, you're welcome. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jim Corda. The church celebrates the feats of St. John of God on Wednesday. To tell us more is Brother Dominic Calabro. He is from the Society of St. Paul in Canfield. John of God is so called, it is said, because the people did not know his real name. He was born in Portugal and was a soldier who fought against the Turks in the defense of Vienna. He was also a shepherd in Spain, a manual laborer in North Africa, and finally a seller of religious articles in Granada. It was in Granada that he was converted after listening to a sermon by the famous preacher John of Avila. John of God then began roaming the streets in a strange and outrageous way that caused others to think that he was deranged, which eventually resulted in his being institutionalized. Through the intervention of John of Avila, he was pacified and eventually released. Having witnessed the harsh treatment given to the inmates in the asylum, John decided to found a hospital in which he would care for the sick and the wretched. With two companions, he laid the foundation of what eventually became the Religious Institute of the Brothers Hospitallers. The rules for eventually governing this institution were not granted until six years after John's death. He was canonized in 1690 and in 1886 named Patron of Hospitals and the Sick by Pope Leto XIII. It was in 1930 that Pius XI placed all nurses under his patronage. The opening prayer of the Mass mentions John's Apostle of Charity, and his Apostle to the Sick and the Suffering is described in the Office of Readings. Today, in his name, 
we are all invited to practice charity by doing good for others. St. John of God is a precursor of modern methods of mental therapy and care for the sick. He endeavored first of all to heal the mind and spirit before treating the physical symptoms. Through the life of St. John of God, we learn that serving our needy brothers and sisters, we also serve Jesus Christ. For Wineskins, I'm Brother Dominic Calabro from the Society of St. Paul. Welcome to our segment called Year of Faith, celebrating the 16 documents of the Second Vatican Council. I'm Father Jim Corda. And I'm Father Jeffrey Mickler of the Society of St. Paul. And the document we will discuss today is the decree on the ministry and life of priests. The life of priests is directly connected with the life and vitality of the people of God. They seldom see their bishop. They really will only see the pope on television on occasion. But the priest becomes more and more the face of the local church and the face of the universal church. And so this decree is very important for the people and for the life of the kingdom of God on earth. I'm wondering for us, Father Jeff, as priests, how important is it for us to recognize what our particular role is, not only in the life of the church, but in the life of our particular ministry mm. or charism, that I have a particular role to play. For example, you know, I'm director here at the Dossison TV station, and yet my ministry is not just functionary, but there's, there's a greater role in yours as well. Mm. You know, how important is it for us to understand what ministry really is all about, because that has to be part of everything that we do. I think that we have a, a sacred calling so that whatever a priest is doing, even it might, though it might not look immediately holy or pious, has a very important impact on a church. Some priests, they have a certain gift and a certain ability, say for church administration, they may be working in a chancery office, somewhat apart from the people of God, but everything they do will be impacting every parish. And in their personal, private, and spiritual journey, like all priests, they have to be men of prayer, and we have the divine office. That we could say or not say, no one will know, but when we say it, it like gives muscle to our priesthood. It gives us an interior strength that we would not have if we neglected that personal interior prayer life, which is seen as a liturgy, even though it's done in private by most priests in the life of the church. So if we are connected with Christ, everything we do, from cutting grass to uh, preaching at Mass, is somehow a part of our sacred ministry. And there's that, that word that we use oftentimes, and you've used it yourself, is ministry. That everything we do really is a ministry, whether it's so small and tiny to some of the great things that we do. And I believe, at least in my ministry, and I know in yours, that we try to encourage others to recognize what they do as ministry whether it's working in a factory or being a housewife or whatever, that whatever we do, we do because we are followers of Christ. And so we have this way of life, this, this thing of, of who we are, and it's got to come out in everything we do. How difficult that is, though. Well, the life of a priest is very hidden and very public at the same time. There's the inner journey and the exterior journey. 
In the exterior journey, we're administering the sacraments. Now, when a priest is ordained, they're called to be another Christ, a title that's always made me wince because I know my own picadillos and unworthiness. But two moments in my life and in the life of every priest where the identity is quite clear is when we say, this is my body, this is my blood, and I absolve you from your sins. And the people of God need to hear both through a priest and are built up by a priest, whether he's a holy man or not so holy. There's the power of Christ acting through the individual. And I know that that impacts my life, and I'm sure it impacts yours and in the life of every priest, to understand that when we do that, whatever we do, we are doing that as another Christ. Mm -hmm. And that call is not just ours, Mm -hmm. it's ours specifically, but it's everyone's as well, is to be another Christ to someone. You know, it's. I often think of the whole thing of it uh, ordination that, you know, you are a priest forever. Mm-hmm. You're a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek and how indelible mm-hmm. that whole ministry is and, and the ordination is. Mm-hmm. Is it even once a priest would leave mm-hmm. or uh, be laicized, they're still considered a priest. Mm-hmm. This is an ontological change in the very depths of a person's being. Our culture today is unfortunately obsessed with tattoos, which sort of make me feel a little bit creepy. But in a sense, a priest is tattooed with the image of Christ at ordination. And then to live up to that interior image is critically important. And to do that through service, through seeking that meet the needs of others before our own needs. That's the key of a dynamic priesthood. I think also is that we have a relationship with others in in the church and in the world. And that's important to understand is that we're we're not like on our own, Mm -hmm. but, but we have a relationship with the people we serve. We have a relationship with other priests with whom we are in ministry with. We have a relationship with our bishop. So there's that whole constant relationship that goes on and how important that is in our daily life, but in understanding at the depths of our ministry as well. There is an intimacy in the life of a priest, which is extremely important. First, to be on intimate terms with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, with Mary, who is our mother, and to follow the people of God in such a way that we know something of their inner journey through confession, through the times they come to share with us their sorrows and joys, uh, their happiness and sorrows, We become truly father figures for them in so many ways. And a priest's life is so intense that it's like cramming 50 or 100 lives in one life. And that's why the priesthood is so rich, so important, and why priests are not ultimately lonely because they're so connected with God and God's people. Let's talk briefly about the promises and the vows that priests make? Well, the diocesan priests make promises. One, fidelity to the bishop, a promise of celibacy. Uh, These are very important to keep their lives simple and on track. And of course, they're supposed to live a life of simplicity rather than materialism. Religious priests and congregations take vows so that any money that comes to us via our ministry goes into the common fund. 
and we get from the common fund our food, shelter, clothing, medical attention. While the diocesan priest has to pay for his own insurance and for many of his own personal needs, he has a salary. Both have a call to chastely love the people of God in a celibate perspective, and both have a very deep call to be obedient to legitimate authorities making legitimate requests or demands of us. We are going to end with uh, just some comments on this particular document. Well, a world without priests would be a world without hope. We are vehicles of hope, and so we should always deliver our message with joy, confidence, and love. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jim Corda. And I'm Father Jeffrey Mickler of the Society of St. Paul. For more information and to listen to Wineskins, visit the website of the Catholic Diocese of Youngstown at www.doy.org. Stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. By the time we can walk, each of us yearns for the joy that comes from being able to do for ourselves. Church World Service believes that being self-reliant is a joy everyone should share. So around the block or around the world, share the joy. Church World Service. The song we have for you today is from the CD called What Wondrous Love, Songs for Lenten Journey. It is by Stacy Burt and Father Bob Lenderich. Yes, Lord, he answered, here is my son, the promise of the ages, the meek and lowly Here is my song.
And to tell us about the scriptures for this second Sunday of Lent is Father Scott Kopp. He is pastor of Christ the Servant Church in Canton. This trudging up the mountain is a wonderful allegory for us to start our reflection today. The selected apostles, specially chosen by Jesus, are on a mini-adventure away from the others. And they are on this journey with Jesus, their teacher, their master, their savior. The journey could be long and tiring, but they are also full of hope. It is not an easy climb, but they enjoy the journey. It is a mixture of the human and the divine. The exhaustion is a reality, but the companionship of Jesus makes it bearable. A mixture of the arduous climb, as well as the excitement of the destination. The difficulty of the climb is a preparation for the gift to come on the heights. It is also a training ground for their own coming mission. But once they get to the top, the next events are beyond their comprehension. What were they expecting? Probably throughout the journey up the mountain, their hopes and excitement kept building. What were they talking about with Jesus, with each other? Yet what happens is simply beyond everything. Moses and Elijah, dazzling light, a voice from heaven. This explains why there is so much misunderstanding in the minds of the apostles. In wanting to erect three tabernacles, Peter thinks that he is raising up Jesus higher than they had previously thought, but really he is bringing him down. Moses and Elijah, the two greatest fathers of their faith, the two great patriarchs, the embodiment of the law and the prophets, yet he doesn't understand. Thankfully, they don't run too far ahead with their plans. They stay to listen. They stay to hear more. They stay to learn more. With the voice acknowledging Jesus as the Son of God, we get hints as to what this whole episode means. With the three figures and the mention of the three tabernacles, Peter is closer to the truth than he knew, but still misunderstood. There are hints here of the Trinity, but it was beyond their comprehension. Christ is not equal in a trinity of ancient patriarchs, but in the trinity of all love and creation. And these apostles were invited to be a part of it, to be in the very midst of this trinity. And so too are we. We too are on this journey up the mountain. We are with each other on this climb as church, with Jesus accompanying us. We long for the summit. We rejoice at these little hints and reminders of the divine along the way. And we too are invited, at the top, to dwell in this swirling center of love, the communion and love of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. What would we not endure to arrive there? What would we not endure to get just one glimpse or experience of it? And so we have to decide now to go up. We have to begin this journey. Jesus was only transfigured before those that went up with him. It did not happen for those who stayed below. The apostles were privileged to see this event and to be in this special relationship. Yet we are called to be a part of this as well. We have to begin the climb, accompanying each other through the different dangers and snares along the path. 
There is a different aspect to Peter's misunderstanding and desire to build the tabernacles, the tents. Not only was he misunderstanding the nature of Jesus as one with the Father and the Spirit, not one with Moses and Elijah, he also misunderstands his own mission. The apostles were not meant to establish permanent tabernacles on the mountaintop. Unfortunately for them, but fortunately for us, they have to come back down the mountain. Their mission was to the ends of the world, that now touched by the divine light, they are to be vessels of that light in the darkest corners of the world. With our baptism, we were given to share in this same light, adopted as children of God. We continue to help those around us on this same climb, and sometimes this will mean sliding back down to help others up. Sometimes it will mean being strong in the light, to be able to take it into the darkest caves along the route, to shine on the lost and abandoned. For the true tabernacle is not a material tent, it is our own heart. Prepare your heart to be a resting place for the Lord. Allow the Lord to come into your heart. For the light of the transfiguration transformed not only Jesus' person, but also his very clothes. The divine light transforms everything it touches. Allowing yourself to experience the light and being transformed, you can then take Jesus with you wherever you go. Not just to appear dazzling and holy to others, but to shine and share that light, that they too can find their way to the mountaintop and in turn be touched by the face of God. For Wineskins, I'm Father Scott Kopp. Jesus calls us to remember those moments that changed our lives because we need them now. And remembering them, we recognize that as God's gift to us, a gift that we can use today with abiding gratitude. Wineskins is made possible through the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts. The program is produced by the Roman Catholic Diocese of Youngstown. I'm Father Jim Corda saying thank you for being with us. Have a blessed week. The annual Diocesan Appeal, One in Hope, One in Mission, is the primary activity of raising funds to help the clients of Catholic Charities throughout the Diocese of Youngstown, as well as supporting the many ministries and activities of our Diocesan Church. This year's goal is $4 million. While that seems like a very vast amount, it is an attainable goal when everyone throughout our diocesan community recognizes the way in which God has blessed them and offers whatever resources possible, coming from all of our parishes across our six counties, to truly be a people of charity, a people of hope, a people of mission. I thank you for your gift to the annual appeal, and I hope that together we might all continue to be one in hope and one in mission building up the life of the church, and building up the presence of Christ for all in need. God bless you.